0: this is the pro america report on the answer san diego
1: welcome 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 ed martin here on the pro america report well so much to uh so much to cover so much going on in the country um a lot of the coverage is of course about trump and uh, even uh, politico and others are are uh, realizing that it's a ridiculous thing there's the the uh, as i tell you often look to politico for what the left is thinking usually In a somewhat sophisticated way, they have better writers than some of the regular uh, usual left wing things. But it's the left of center. It's kind of the Democrat slash left establishment. That's Politico. Politico is leading. The headlines are basically. Well, let me read it to you. The recent headline Bragg's case against Trump hits a wall of skepticism, even from Trump's critics. And then it's a lengthy legal analysis about how and three of the authors. We, they have Kyle Cheney, well-known Politico author, uh, a journalist, Josh Gertstein, one of their big ones, too. And then Eric Orton. I don't know her name as well. But the fact is that that's three of the big ones, three, two of the big ones and one other that I'm sure is a big. They're all saying in a lengthy analysis, it's total nonsense, total nonsense. It's terrible. But here's the thing. Here's what you need to know today. Let me explain to you how. Incredibly effective, this has been and continues to be for the Democrats. And it's not only in the way that, you know, after a while, if you get indicted, and for 34 charges, and if you look closely, all 34 charges are one charge. You just do it over and over again because you basically say uh, you filed your you you called this uh, payment the wrong thing. And you did it in on this day and then you did it again on that day and you charge it 34 times based on all the occurrences. It's one act. But over time, people hear, oh, so and so's indicted. It, you tend to think something somebody that's indicted did something wrong. That's how it works. The word indictment next to your name, he's indicted or so-and-so has an indictment. It's not a positive thing, right? It carries negative weight. But it's not just that. That's not what you need to know. That's not the Democrats are doing that to Trump all the time. Let me explain to you the power of this kind of thing on a person, a human being because i can tell you at one point i was a chief of staff to the governor of missouri i tell the story a lot i had a really cool job did a lot of great things but i also became the center of a of a very public uh um a publicly covered um uh lawsuit and the lawsuit, among other things, alleged that I had used my office to influence uh, political stuff in favor of pro-life. They said I was being too political because I was pushing pro-life stuff. They also wrote about the fact that somebody who had been uh, terminated from the office, of governor, was complaining about me. All this kind of personal stuff. It became a very big deal in the Missouri papers, right? Not nationally. Uh, but when you're chief of staff to the governor, it gets a lot of attention. It, here's the thing that you, I learned. It has a, a massive impact on your personal life it doesn't matter if your family is used to it it doesn't matter if they uh, know that you signed on for it by the time i was involved in uh missouri uh, uh politics or as a chief of staff i had been the head of the election board in st louis and been on all the news i'd i had been a, a lead lawyer in suing uh the governor of illinois over uh his uh pro uh ch- abortion uh rulemaking I had been on CNN for that reason, all sorts of stuff. But you're never ready for the drumbeat of negative press. It's just—it's impossible. It's like a well. It's just like a drumbeat, and and drumbeat is a boom, 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 and they never let up. They never let up. And and when things happen, there's a hearing, there's a lawsuit filed. It gives another reason to write a whole bunch of stories and get a bunch of coverage. And what you need to know is the the. The the weight of this kind of personal hit job that has happened by the New York District Attorney Bragg against Donald Trump, the personal weight of that is incalculable, because whatever the truth of Donald Trump in terms of the Stormy Daniels, uh, in the same uh, filing, thirty four counts of this improper payment to stormy daniels allegedly the the da Bragg includes in there reference to another woman who says she got paid uh after an encounter with trump and that's just included to be personal and it works if you saw donald trump speak on tuesday night at mar-a-lago he looked exhausted no surprise he traveled back and forth to new york to sit in a courtroom but also imagine what his home life is like Imagine no matter what the truth of this assault on him against his due process rights, imagine what it's like to go down, you know, go to the you know, roll over in bed to Melania. Now, I know you people say, oh, well, Donald Trump did this, you know, did it to himself. I understand that. I'm not saying I, whatever he did or didn't do is between him and his wife. I long ago came to say things like this. Marriage is a great mystery. I believe it's a gift from God and God puts a lot of grace into marriage because it's really tough. It's really tough to do and you need God's grace. That's why I'm a believer. It's one of the reasons it's a, one of the proofs of existence of God is marriage and how hard it is but how blessed it is. And so I I'm not but I also learned not to judge anyone else's marriage. It's a kind of mystery. It's not a kind of mystery, it's a mystery. And so but here's the thing. Donald Trump is just being burdened over and over again. I like to tell, uh, you know, my friends I we talk about things. I say, listen, I'll do me a favor. Don't put another brick on my load. I got a big load. I don't need you to put another brick on it. If you can help it, take a brick off my load. That would be the best help. If you can do that, that would be great. And don't put more on there. And let me be clear to you. I want to take a brick off your load. And what they're doing to Donald Trump is just over and over and over and over again. They are pounding him with a personal attack and it's, it's not a, it's not valid, right? Even Politico is admitting that. But after you say it's not valid, then you say, well, wait a second. If it's not valid, if it's not a valid thing, if it's not an appropriate thing, if it's not something that should have been done, what, what happens when you get pounded over and over again with it, right? How like levels of unfair is it? to have that happen i mean it's extraordinary it's extraordinary to watch this go on and again it's a kind of cruelty it's it's a it's a personal cruelty that is really surprising to me that nobody else is saying that and seeing it now let me not no one lots of people are saying that and seeing that but you know you'd expect more people uh on the on the left more people normal people democrats and i think there's lots of them by the way i think lots of people are looking up and they're saying this is really rough this is not this is not fair but they're not saying much publicly they're not saying much publicly and so you watch this unbelievable burden and and you know again donald trump has had a really interesting um in many ways spectacularly successful life but i've been around enough to know that even the most successful people put their pants on one leg at a time you know that's an old saying they they have normal problems they have normal concerns and one of the problems one of the normal concerns is how how you um how you deal with your own family and what you do when the lights are on the bright lights are on and and how that impacts you right it's an extraordinary thing to see uh, and just to, you know, again, to um, to consider the weight, to consider the weight of this on him. And when I watched him and I watched it only in t- I didn't watch it live. I watched it uh, on tape. Uh, I watched the recording of it and I watched uh, the um, uh, the uh, uh, Trump speech at Mar-a-Lago. And I just thought he looks exhausted. He looks exhausted in a way that's personal. It's not it wasn't exhausted like, oh, I can't take this. He's been through other things. It was I just, I, you know, I'm just getting, I got to come home and talk to my wife. I got to come home and talk to my kids. I got to come home. His kids are adults now, right? They, He's got adult children like his, um, like his, uh, 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 his, um, daughter, you know, Ivanka, all the coverage she got, she's an adult kid in her forties. She's not a kid anymore. And you got to come home and talk about that. You got to come home and deal with that. And you can say, oh, well, the brag is being unfair. Well, everybody knows that. But the unfair is related to this terrible, terrible uh, uh, situation. And again, don't give me the, um, don't give me the, um, uh, the, the, he, it, it's his own doing. I got that. I'm not, I'm not defending what he did. I, I don't care. What I'm saying is when you take a lie that there was a crime and use it just to bludgeon somebody, it's nasty. It's nasty. It's the worst kind of nasty. It's one thing to bring it up in the press. It's, you know, to, to write an ad about it, to do things like that. It's a, it's a special kind of nasty to do it like they're doing this. And here's the trick. It works. It works. You wear people down. Normal people do not want to go through this. And I'll finish with this. What you really need to know is that Trump has already obviously figured out how to handle this. He's bought into this life. He's going to go to the end. But as Mike Cernovich said, and I referenced this yesterday, what you need to know is Cernovich wrote a tweet, and he said, this is a message to all the people that want to support Trump. You better not do it in a way that we see it. You better not volunteer on his campaign or support him in other ways. There'll be a price to pay. And you see what we're doing to him? That's what we'll do to you. And Cernovich is right. Normal people step back when they see this they may feel bad for trump they may wish it was different but normal people not people I'm blaming they protect themselves and their families from the animals that do this ask jeffrey clark gifted talented experienced lawyer not working as a lawyer right now because why because he happened to be working for trump and the bar association of dc and everywhere else is targeting him that's what you need to know this is about hurting us not only hurting trump and it works All right, we got to take a break. We'll be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Time to check in with our old friend Todd Bensman. He's been very busy. His book, Overrun, has been uh, has him on the run all over the place. He's been uh, out promoting his book, and uh, he's got another a piece over at the Center for Immigration Studies, another excerpt from the book. This one, I forgot, Todd, was in there. And, and this is a really important topic because a lot of folks in this country are focused on our schools, right? They've got an issue with their school board. They're worried about some of the CRT stuff. But there's an aspect of the immigration problem, the open borders problem that is uh, very practical. It's the number of students that under federal law, all students that show up illegal or not have to be allowed into the public schools. And so there they are. So uh, Center for Immigration uh, Studies, fellow senior national security fellow, Todd Benzman, welcome back to the program. This issue hasn't gotten almost any attention. Are you finding that people are engaging through your book overrun?
2: Well, um, not really. I yeah. mean, even, even, I mean, well, first of all, this is about the school district is the final chapter. So right. you have to wade through, uh, <laughs> 16 chapters before you get yeah. to the, I saved the best for last, I thought, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's a, a characteristic, a, a main characteristic of this mass migration crisis and event is that it is child centric people discovered early that if they brought a kid with them, they got in guaranteed and uh, the administration was exempting into the country, all unaccompanied minors. So we got 350, 400,000 of those. Uh, we got uh, at least another million and a half uh, kids. Uh, at least it's hard to really uh, figure out how many there are, but uh, my, by my conservative estimate, In the last 24, uh, 36 months, we've had two and a half million, uh, kids have to come in and be, uh, absorbed into school districts around the country. And this one deals with Liberty County in Texas, Cleveland Independent School District, Texas, not, not Ohio, uh, where we have a case, a really clear cut case where, you know, some 75,000 illegal immigrants have descended on this small rural community. The school district was about 4,000 at the beginning, and it's projected to be 20,000 by 2026. It's already tripled in size. And so I decided to go there and make a case study out of what this looks like, what's happening across the country. Uh, No doubt this is happening across the country. So that's what the chapter's about and the excerpt at CIS.org really delves into my research and what I found in that school district, uh, spending time on the ground and a long interview with the superintendent and with parents and teachers.
1: Uh, Again, we're talking with Todd Bensman. Todd, when you talk to, you just mentioned when you talk, but when you talk to um, uh, parents and teachers on this subject and they realize or they can describe what's happening, I, I mean, Are they beside themselves? Are they just resigned to it? It's just the way life is. I mean, because it's impacting the schools that they're in uh, very dramatically. I mean, that's the that's the reality of it. Right. I mean, so uh, what's the response
2: in the Cleveland Independent School District? I would describe the feeling as shell shocked. Hmm. Uh, This has been going on for years now, uh, four or five years straight but it just keeps going and going and they can't keep up with the population of uh, non-English speaking kids of every uh, age and all different sorts of pro- educational proficiency levels. And they're coming in by the hundreds a week, sometimes thousands a month, and they are having to have bond elections to pay for portable classrooms they've got 60 of them or they had 60 portable classrooms as of the fall of last year they've probably got a lot more huge uh, aggressive campus expansions of existing buildings and 20 new schools, elementary, middle school I mean the it's just utterly uh, amazing how fast they've had to expand but they just can't expand fast enough. it's just impossible. And the tax burden is just going up, 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 up. The problems within the school district are described uh, throughout the book. I've got a long interview with the superintendent of the district who, you know, makes no bones. He's not trying to, uh, you know, brush it under the rug or anything. He just admits, look, I you know, we're out of space. We're out of money. Uh, we're struggling in every possible way educationally. Uh the reason I bring this into focus is because this is a really obvious in plain sight case. But I believe that your school district, wherever you're listening to, if you just Google the name of your school district and portable classrooms or bond election, you will find this happening in your school district. This is the first place. That you'll feel this mass migration crisis in your school district because it was so child centric.
1: Uh, Overrun is the name of the book. It's Overrun by Todd Benzman. If you go to com, by the way, that's the best place to go buy it, but you can buy it anywhere you buy a book. Overrun How Joe Biden Unleashed the Greatest Border Crisis in U.S. History, uh, Post Hill Press. Um, uh, hey, um, Todd. When you talk to someone like the superintendent, and you, you know, he, as you said, he's matter of fact. He's like, "Hey, this is I, I, I don't. It's not my job to, or maybe he doesn't say quite tr- that glibly, but it's not my job to be, um, you know, in charge of policy, whatever. I just got to deal with what shows up at the door and and how to handle it. That's right. Um, is the so um, is is that? And, and, and then my second point on this is that nobody's talking about this because nobody, I mean, until even until you sent me this excerpt, I had I had forgotten it was in the book, as you point out, it's at the end of the book. But so, Todd, is is this part of the crisis? Do you have any um, sense as a longtime journalist that this will get attention? I mean, it is the kids that usually gets people a bit motivated.
2: I don't think so, because. Uh, wh- like I said, you know, if you Google your school district and portable classrooms or bond elections, th- notice the coverage that comes up in your local media. Uh, the writers of these pieces will do acrobatic yoga, intellectual yoga to get around having to say who these people are <laughs> that they are having to have a bond election for and have to hire ESL teachers Uh, you won't find it in the media. You have to, you have to keep digging to get at the root of who these, uh, people are that are creating the new growth and demand for classroom space. It's just a disingenuous, uh, thing that we all have to live with about the American media now. Uh, nobody wants to just say the obvious thing out loud. Uh, in, in even Liberty County, uh, and Cleveland ISD, you know, it's the same thing in their community. You can't you read their little local newspapers and nobody ever says the word migrant, or migrant kids or immigrant kids or anything about it. Uh, but when you go there, it's obvious, you know, you interview everybody and, you know, they're like, yeah, they're all illegal kids. You know, thousands and thousands have moved here. Uh, uh, that is happening all over the country. And I want to say one other thing. Yeah. Um the, the chapter doesn't only deal with the school district, a, a substantial chunk of it does. But Liberty County, Texas, uh, was just absolutely overwhelmed and is suffering all sorts of crime problems and cultural clashes and traffic snarls. And, it, you know, the people that lived there before this happened described that their entire way of living has just been completely uh, decimated. Uh, everybody's leaving, all of the old families are leaving. There, there are a few who are uh, still trying to uh, hang in there and fight back. But, you know, the culture shift in these in that community is described also at length in the chapter.
1: Uh, we're talking with uh, uh, Todd Bensman, uh, and again, his uh, book is Overrun. Um, Todd, what's the total number? To, if you had to predict the total number for the whole um, – Nation, what's the total number of of students into our public schools in the last couple of years? Is there a way to is there a way to tell? I guess of of the numbers that are, are coming in, uh, how many are students?
2: I have tried uh, my best. The, the the CBP does not break it down by children; they break it down by families, by family units. But you don't know if it's one parent and one kid, or one parent and four kids, or so I, I kind of just tried to come up with an estimate since 2018, which was, there was a big, uh, family, uh, migrant crisis during the Trump administration that brought in about a million family, uh, members of family units. And then it's just gone, you know, through the stratosphere under the Biden administration. And I can kind of came up with, if you included the unaccompanied minors, just sort of on my own, about 2.2 million. Uh, children, but I, I honestly believe that's a conservative number. I mean, 800,000 unaccompanied minors, and I was assuming one child per two parents, so I'm being very conservative. Uh, does, does some, does some, th-
1: Todd, does somebody have that number? I mean, w- 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 do you think, or do you, or I mean, somebody has the hard number that we know, then there'd yes. be a, a guess, and then there'd be
2: a guessing number that we don't know, right? Right. Well, the unaccompanied minors is a hard number. Okay. That's eight hundred. Okay. That's eight hundred thousand. It's the family units where it gets tough. CBP undoubtedly keeps a breakdown. They don't post that that breakdown, but uh, you know, I think it's it's fair just from my own uh, reporting yeah. on the ground uh, to kind of come up with a, a kind of a medium type of. Conservative number, and then but 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 but,
1: but but then but let me pause and say let's just do one year at the end of a certain of a calendar year. You, you Todd, with some sophistication and understanding the numbers, could say, "Okay, there's the unaccompanied minor number. Let's say it's eight hundred thousand. Over there is the total number of." Uh, what do you call them? Uh, uh, contact, family, units. family units that have been contacted that have been in the system, then you can make a number, but then there's the getaways, right? There's a, ho- there's a number that you would, that you, and you could debate that it's, that's not going to be scientific. You, you, you could say it's X and, and a, a liberal could say, oh no, no, it's X minus, you know, it's one half X, but whatever it is, it, we know it's something, right? So, uh, I mean, yes, it, 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 couldn't that be something That the oversight of the U.S. House, the Republicans could demand like give us don't don't come testify. We don't care to talk to you. We just want you to send us a letter that gives us your best estimate of the number of school age kids that came through the southern border in an X period of time. I mean, the other question, though, of course, Todd, is some some number. And again, there'd be experts that would have some way to tell us some some number go into the classroom and some don't. Right. Some stay at home or go to work or work in businesses or, you know, whatever. Right. So but that would be a number again. Someone with expertise could tell us.
2: Yeah, that's that's right. Um, You know, the school districts all have the numbers in their schools Uh, and there are ways to divide to devise. Uh, you know, calculations on that, but, you know, by through your public records in your school district, I was able to find the number very easily uh with CISD, Cleveland Independent School District, because they just tell you straight out that these are uh, Hispanic students and mm-hmm. here are the numbers and English speaking ones and non-English speaking ones even. So I you see. can get a pretty good idea that way. But right. but the right. truth is, is that, you know, we'll never really know. The family units, the family units by and large turn themselves in. They're give ups because they get a free ride into the country. Uh, there are some that probably run for different reasons. Maybe the parents have a criminal history or something like that, but, but. You know, it's just hard to talk about the, got- the Godaway. So I didn't even include Godaways yeah, yeah, in right, my figure. Right.
1: Right. Right. Huh. Okay. Well, as always, uh, Todd Bensman, very helpful. Again, Todd Bensman's book is overrun, how Joe Biden unleashed the greatest border crisis in U.S. history. Uh, U.S. history you need to get that. And uh, he's at center for immigration studies, CIS.org, but his website, com, is where you can buy that book and see other of his work. Thanks, Todd. As always, we'll talk soon.
2: Thank you very much. I appreciate it.
1: All right. We will take a break, everybody. We will come back, uh, and I will make sure to post up on social media both the link to his uh, the excerpt, which is on CAS.org, and also ToddBenzman.com. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. Well, ahead of his time by a few days, not really. I mean, I think he saw what was coming. Our friend Ted Malik has a piece uh, that he published uh, four or five days ago, Cities of Hate leave before it's too late a bit a little poetic there and um it is over at one America news on their commentary page um so ted uh you you had this one nailed by of course in the last uh, 36 hours or whatever it is we've had chicago decide on the furthest left uh you know craziest lawless uh, mayor it's a little bit lost on people karen bass in los angeles is not exactly a moderate she's pretty uh, liberal and and then of course we're watching new york city with the da who's uh, spending his time on donald trump's seven or eight or nine or 10 year old payments as opposed to the murder and rape that's going on around. So uh, I guess you were right, but it probably gives you a little uh, consolation. You're not a, you know, you're not, you you like these cities, didn't you?
3: (laughs) Well, as, as you know, reading this, this is about my city, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Right. It had a great historical background with William Penn and place of diverse religious history You know, a place where all could gather and have peace and dialogue. That all changed in my lifetime. And that's, in fact, what the article is about, how that changed and how in the late 1960s in particular, people came to the conclusion that Philadelphia was not a place that was worth investing in or staying in. And lots of people, my family included, they called it white flight, but they left for the suburbs. They gave up on the city. What I'm saying, looking back now 50 years, is that was was not a mistake and that anybody that has any sense whatsoever in any American city should get out because it's only getting worse. And you can recite any city you like. You just talked about Chicago. We can go on detail about it. Milwaukee, Los Angeles, Baltimore. There's no city that deserves, um, you know, to keep people as residents because they are absolutely rat-infested hellholes, and they're all dictated by progressive Democrats and have been for 50 or 60 years.
1: Um you were talking with Ted Malik. Ted, you know, I was sitting here thinking and uh, listening to you talk about Philadelphia your hometown. There there was a there was a fairly um a, a fairly popular book um that was uh, published a few years ago about Hannibal, Missouri and and um the uh the uh, uh the author whose name fails me, it'll maybe it'll come back to me. Um um that it was he had born and raised there, a little bit a little bit older than you now he was and he was born and raised in Hannibal, Missouri, which is the is the hometown of uh of Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn and Mark Twain. Sam Samuel Clemens raised there. And it was a, a, a um, uh, a Mississippi River town Very, very uh, prosperous as towns were Back when Mark Twain was a kid But when this guy was a young a Youngster in say the 40s and 50s I think it would have been Into the 60s It was a, still a, a, a town That was going forward It was transformed by the fact That the jobs left And it became sort of a A hellhole of no prospects And everybody that was still there Ended up without real prospects And real jobs And a lot of drugs actually a lot At the time I think in the, in the 80s and 90s Meth was in there And now I'm, I imagine it's fentanyl and all other stuff, uh, the, the difference in Philadelphia, am I wrong, was a choice about uh, the the law and order. I mean, it, it, it was, there were jobs that left Philadelphia, but you still had a, a, I mean, it was still a major city and around it were lots of jobs. It was that the governance of the city itself, they gave themselves over to a sort of, I don't know, lawless is a little strong, but a sort of lack of law and order, right? It was a political, small p, political decision, not necessarily an economic decision.
3: This is largely true of of most of the cities in the Northeast, but also in the Midwest, many of them. uh, I mean, back when I grew up in Philadelphia, it was the third largest city. It was a major industrial center, certainly a center of culture, which I go on at length talking about. Even the accent of America was Philadelphia. It was the caretaker of of, of the country's most cherished historical sites. And all that has been torn down. It's been torn apart by its own diversity and its own violence. It's become an unlivable place.
1: It, um, again, we're talking with Ted Malik and we're talking about especially Philadelphia. And uh, the reason I was thinking so much about this is because of the, uh, of the um, uh, in the last you know, 48 hours, the Chicago voted. By the way, that book is called Tom and Huck Don't Live Here Anymore Childhood uh-huh. and Murder in the mm. Heart of uh, America by uh, Ron Powers, the journalist. Um, back to Philadelphia, though, we're talking with Ted Malik about his piece, which we're running over at One America News. Um, when you say, it wasn't a mistake. Um, you know, you had to get out uh, you, back then America, America's third largest city, Philadelphia, uh, as you mentioned, center of culture, history, historical sites. Um, what, what was the, what was the, you know, what's the breaking point? Is it the, what was the, was it the 1968, the race uh, and the busing and all? I mean, what when you look well, back, I, now, I think
3: it was in the case of Philadelphia and some other cities, it was, Um, That period, you know, of upheaval in in the late 60s, which had to do with the whole counterculture and, and, you know, black rage, uh, burning down of cities. And then, of course, uh, probably the uh, assassination of Martin Luther King, which, you know, basically set all those cities literally on fire. So I basically conclude that all American cities, that's my point, not just Philadelphia, have become places of hate. They're dirty, infested, drug. Havens uh, riff with violent crime, poverty, homelessness, racial animosity, disrespect for culture, manners, faith, and family. They are all in ruin. And they have been, as I say, run for decades and decades by one political party. And these are machines of corruption and, frankly, places to avoid.
1: Uh, it is. And you at this point, you also you say it's you, you're 50 years looking back. You say, OK, it wasn't a mistake to get out is there hope? Is there a, a path to hope or is it leave the cities and I don't know, r- build other places?
3: Yeah, no, I, I mean, I like to say there's some hope and there might be some neighborhood or some house in some of those cities that, you know, has some degree of hope uh, in the black church or, you know, in, in, in some kind of leadership uh, cadre, or I was going to say boy or girl scouts, you can't even say that anymore. Right. Um, right. I think the only real question for any thoughtful American alive today, any person who is living and staying in an American city, regardless of race, gender, faith, economic station, is this. When, am, when should you pack up and leave? Huh. Droves of Americans have already done so. So what's holding you back? Um, what are you waiting for? The only thing staring at you is place of danger, hopelessness, and death. Well, and and so and but back to this question,
1: Ted. I mean, if is the, if the future is that you can't save these plays, like uh, I I've got it in my inbox. I haven't watched it. There's a documentary um, that was sent me. Someone's pitching to come on the show, and and it's a documentary on New York. And they basically write how New York went to hell in the '80s, and then it was Giuliani. And I don't know if this is true, but they say Bloomberg too, was a caretaker and brought it back. Well, it's gone to hell again. I guess my point is: is there a way that you can envision a sort of ebbing and flowing? I mean, <clears throat> until we get rid of schools. Uh, the broken school system and do something dramatic on school choice. I'm not sure it's ever going to matter, but, uh, but is there, is there some way, and again, you're, you're a student of history. uh, Is there, is there some uh, vision that could, you could see this, uh, 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 you know, spinning uh, back the other way. I I don't know if there is, but I'm asking.
3: I think it's a uh, slippery slope and we're already way, way, way down that slope. The better thing to do would be to move to the excerpts and start new communities. Trump's novel plan recently was to start two, uh, 10 new cities where people could have homes and live in peace and, you know, develop new urban areas. My conclusion is frankly that to give up on urban life altogether.
1: You know, it's uh, the idea that Trump idea. He said he's going to have a contest and all. I did think when I heard that, you know, the other part of it is if you talk to people that are builders and others, you're, you're either hamstrung by all the rules and regulations in the cities or you've got to pay to play and get them waived and changed and you make it a historic thing so you can you know do this or tax credits that or whatever and it's it's really become almost impossible so that if, if it was true that trump could do something where you had a totally new uh you know place you wouldn't have to start with all that uh all those regulations right you could do you could do something different but again i, I i'm i'm with you i mean i don't know if it's I, and and by the way it's happening. the left is coming along to this or no, i shouldn't say the left some democrats i was watching a democrat talk about how you know there was a murder and in, what's in Washington, D.C. uh, uh, in the last couple of weeks, and the Democrats are saying suddenly, you know, the ones that work on Capitol Hill, holy cow, this has really gotten bad. I can't believe that's it, right. you know. Uh, that's so uh, and that's another thing, uh, um, uh, Ted. Do you see it bipartisan? Are enough Democrats smart enough to know that you got to get out of the cities? Uh, and they can't maybe they can't say it out loud. But uh, do they see they it?
3: it out loud? But when when you know, liberals get mugged, they usually uh, make <laughs> a decision to move uh, to the other side of the spectrum. I do think 40 uh, acres and a mule was a pretty, pretty novel idea, though. <laughs>
1: yeah well you now you're in california so maybe you're signing on to that reparations thing maybe uh governor gavin yeah. newsom will put you on there you ought to write about that ted you ought to decide uh, you you could you could come up with an angle on that the, uh, for our listeners i'm sure they're following it in california between gavin newsom and i i forget who the one of the governor mayor of san francisco they're coming up with plans to give away i don't know, millions and millions of dollars and real estate and everything else if you happen to be african-american in california but uh, besides that what's next i know we always get a preview of
3: what yeah, my my next article is is about a very very novel idea. Used to be <laughs> called a virtue. Uh, and I, of course, uh, revisited it, wrote a book on it. And I'm reminding us that we need, in this period of uh, grave economic uh, uh, danger of re- recession, inflation, uh, and belt tightening, we need to revisit the virtue of thrift, oh. public and private. Oh, okay.
1: All right. I like it. My wife will appreciate this one. She's preaching that to my kids and myself. All right. Ted Malik, as always, uh, thank you for your time. Happy Easter to you. We'll talk to you again soon.
3: God bless. Thanks.
1: All right. Thank you, Ted Malik, everybody. we will. I'll post, I'll post this piece up on the cities. Uh, uh, it's running on One America News, has a commentary page, and we'll talk to him again soon. I'll be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, back in a moment.
0: This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report. A daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. And now, from the archives of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, here is Phyllis Schlafly.
4: A coalition of liberal groups has decided they should prescribe sex education for the public schools. This coalition includes CECUS, the notorious Sexuality Information and Education Council, and and the National Education Association, and Planned Parenthood, among others. Here are some examples of what they call age-appropriate lessons that are recommended in their report. Sex ed is to start in kindergarten by teaching kids to show respect for different kinds of family structures. We all know what that means. This report is not just talking about the traditional American family. Kids in grades 3, 4, and 5 will be given descriptions of male and female reproductive systems, including body parts and their functions. That's not all. Grades 3, 4, and 5 will be taught to define sexual orientation as romantic attraction towards someone of the same gender or a different gender. In grades 6, 7, and 8, Students will be taught to differentiate between gender identity, gender expression, and sexual orientation. They will be asked to explain the range of gender roles to define sexual intercourse and how to use a condom correctly. They will also be taught to define the morning-after pill and explain its use. In grades 9 to 12, students will be taught to advocate for school policies and programs that promote respect for all, how to access information about contraception, emergency contraception, and STD and HIV testing and treatment services. It's long been the policy of the National Education Association that public schools should have the right to teach children whatever the schools want and parents have no right to object. Parents, if all this is not what you want the public schools to teach your children, you better act fast and speak up.
0: This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. The liberal agenda is corrupting classrooms in colleges and schools across the country. If you're a parent, teacher, or administrator who really cares about our children, we promise to keep you informed at phyllisschlafly.com. And let us hear from you at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening and join us again next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
1: Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro America Report. Just got about a minute to wrap things up uh, with you today. Uh, Quick update on the weekend. Um, Good Friday. We will not have a show. We'll play a replay, so you might miss out on that. But we'll be here tomorrow, and then we'll be back next week also. So don't – fear not. Fear not. Hey, let me tell you one thing. If you have recommendations, I had one of you email me, send me your recommendations on guests, on uh, people to uh, 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 to uh, catch up with, uh, whatever uh, um, books especially, and others, send them to me. Uh, you can e- email me, ed at phyllisschlafly.com, ed at com, or you can text me, 314-256-1776, 314 256 1776 Uh, Love to have them and get some great stuff from our listeners, so appreciate you very much. Thank you, as always, to the great Noah Dingley, our producer, and uh, Ryan Hyde for helping to produce this show. We will be back tomorrow. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Talk to you then.
2: This is the
0: Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego.